making our way through the letter of First John, and uh, doing so, we're taking these large patches of scripture, chapters at a time, but really hopefully emphasizing certain themes that are coming through that talk about authenticity. And so I would invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read through this entire chapter as we did the last couple of weeks. And we'll begin, of course, with verse 1. So can I invite you to stand with me in deference to God's word? I love how this chapter begins. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves even as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he has appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit. He gave us. God add his blessing to that powerful word this morning. Thank you. You could be seated. 
You know, everybody who claims to be a Christian is not necessarily so. Not everybody who goes to church is necessarily going to heaven. Jesus warned that some would pretend to be sheep, but in fact were wolves in sheep's clothing. He said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. In fact, he says, the kingdom of God, the church, is like a fisherman who spreads his net into the lake and brings in fish, some good, some bad, and the good he keeps and the bad he discards. That's how it will be at the end of the age. Now, of course, that begs the question then for us, how do we tell the difference? How, how do we tell authenticity from pretending? Well, this letter of 1 John, as we've looked at, gives us three more identifying marks of the true Christian. And this is the test for us. The first sign is the one we talked about in our first week together. We talked about belief in Jesus Christ. John knew Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 1, I saw him, I touched him, I loved him. He had a personal experience with Jesus. He knew him to be alive, he knew him to be a man of love, and he knew that he was Lord of all. We talked about the importance then of having our own personal relationship with Christ. So belief in a biblical sense is to have a relationship with Christ, to know him, to love him, to adore him. The second sign is one that we developed in chapter 2. And again, this is a theme throughout the letter. You'll see these repeated again and again. But the second sign we must take note of is that authentic Christianity means that we are obedient to God's word. Verse uh, 3 and 4 in chapter 2 says this, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And so a genuine Christian will resist sin. He's not going to continue in sin. He resists that pattern. That does not mean, by the way, that I may never sin. It means that the overall pattern of my life is being more and more conformed to, to Christ. It, I'm looking more and more like him as I pursue Christ, as I follow him. I hope that's your experience this morning. But this morning, I want to develop for a little bit more time this, this third emphasis of the book. And this is the third sign of authenticity. And it's simply this. An authentic Christian will have a love for God's people. An authentic Christian will have a love for God's people. Listen, if you're going to be a part of the family of God, you are going to have a deep compassion and love for other members of the family. And by the way, if you don't, then you have evidence then that you really do not belong to the father of that family. You'll remember the story in the Old Testament of King Solomon who had to decide between uh, two mothers who, who, uh, uh, who, who belonged to a, 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 a little baby. You've, you've heard about switching at birth. Well, you'll remember the story in Solomon's day. Two women lived in the same home and they gave birth at almost the same time. 
And while the child was still an infant, one of the mothers tragically rolled over and smothered and killed her own baby. Well, she was so disturbed that in the morning before the other mother awakened, she switched the children. So when the other mother woke up and she saw that this child was dead, she woke up and, and she was in terror as she was beside herself in protest because she instantly realized what had happened. She knew her own child, but there was no way to prove it. The case eventually came before King Solomon because only he in his wisdom could solve such a dilemma. Of course, there was no DNA test in that day. So his decision was this. He, he rendered, he said, well, let's cut the baby in half and give half of the child to one mother and the other half to the other. Well, if you know the story, the, the real mother individually said, no, no, I beg you, please do not do that. Do that. Let the other woman have the baby. At that, Solomon said, I know who the real mother is. Give this child to her. He belongs to her because she allowed her love for her child to override her own selfish interests. In other words, it was her love for her child that proved he belonged to her. And friends, I believe in the same way that you can tell who belongs to the family of God by the way we love other members of our family. In this chapter, John gives us the supreme motivation for loving one another. First, he says, we are adopted by the Father. In verse 1, he says, see what a great love has been lavished upon us. The Father has lavished this love. We are called the children of God. In fact, that is what we are. See how much he has loved us, John says. He has adopted us as his children. And by the way, this goes even beyond what we think of in terms of earthly adoption. To emphasize the point, John says, that, that we are really the children of God. We have his nature, his DNA. We will be like him, John says. So even beyond God forgiving us, and that is something that we ought to take time to reflect on and rejoice in. But even beyond God's forgiveness, God is, it's even better than that. He invites us to be a part of his family. Some of you in this room may know the, the blessing of adopting a child. Parents, you, you know that that child is yours. It doesn't matter in regards to their history, their bloodline, or anything else. From that day that you took that child home, they belong to you. He is your son. She is your daughter, and you love them. But adoption is a great analogy here, but it's only a partial one. Because even that breaks down because we share God's nature and have become truly princes and princesses of his kingdom. John says, see how much God loves us. So John notes here, the world does not know us because it doesn't know him. You see, the, the world has trouble comprehending God's love for us and therefore can't understand our love for him. I mean, think about it in our church. Why would you sacrifice your money 
to, to build a church building. Next weekend, we're going to Slavic Village, some of us. Why would people go out of their way into another neighborhood to scrape a building for another church? Why would that happen? Why wouldn't you go ahead and sue that person when you could make thousands of dollars? Why don't you watch that television program or go out with that crowd or sleep with that girl? You see, the world doesn't get us. The world has problems with us. But you know, there are certain things I never did as a kid simply because I never wanted to disappoint my parents. Just didn't want to disappoint them. I, I knew they loved me. And, and that built a, uh, it built a wall around me because I knew I loved them. There were certain things I just would not do. And friends, when you are in love with God, when you realize his love for you, there are certain things that you're just not going to do. And the world has a difficult time understanding that. But secondly, note here that John says about his children, we have a promised inheritance. John says, consider your future. I, I, I love how John admits, we don't, ever, we don't know everything there is to know about our future. We don't know everything there is to know about heaven. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we do know this, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, and we will see him even as he is. We do know this, John says, we're going to see him. We're going to be like him. I remember the story of Stephen in the book of Acts. You remember the Bible says that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, but as he was being persecuted, in fact, as he was being executed, you remember it says that he saw the heavens open up. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. We're all going to see him someday, John says. And John goes further than that. He says we're going to be like him. We will be like him. What does that mean? Well, I think we're going to be like him physically. Uh, amen. I, I look forward to that day. You know, when Jesus came back from the grave, he was not a ghost. He had hands and feet. He got hungry. But even more, it was a glorified body. And so, listen, we're going to be immortal. He rose from the dead never to die again. There will be no more pain, no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more viruses to upend our lives. I think we're going to be more like him intellectually. You know, our, our, our brains aren't going to get fo foggy. The, the brain cells won't die. We'll, we'll remember what he tells us and we'll be able to intellectually begin to understand all the mysteries of the universe that he's created the Bible says we now see through a glass darkly, but then we shall know. We're going to be like him spiritually. Sin is no longer going to be the issue. That sinful nature will once and for all be beaten. The Bible says of us, eye has, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, and it never entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, friend, this morning, your future is bright. It's a marvelous inheritance that God has prepared for you because he loves you. Heaven will be spectacular. 
And Jesus says that is ours because we are the children of God. So we can rejoice even in the midst of a pandemic. We can say hallelujah. Our God reigns. Now, this is what John says. How do we respond to this kind of lavish love? Well, John takes us in verse 11 to this. He says, we need to love one another. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. God has lovingly lavished his love on us in such a way that we can afford to love other people. He's, He's been an extravagant spender in your life with love. You can afford to love others too. Now, sometimes love is easy. Sometimes it's hard. For instance, my wife loves me when I give her jewelry for Christmas or she loves me when I take her out to eat for dinner or she loves me, really loves me when I start sweeping the floor and she didn't tell me to do it, you know? It's easy to love me then. And then there are those other times when I snore at night and she can't sleep or those moments when... um, I really didn't hear what she said or those moments that I've hurt her and I've done that. At those moments, it's a bit tougher. But you know what? She loves me anyway. And the reason is because the Bible says she has to. (laughs) Love him anyway. I stirred up a hornet's nest the last couple of weeks by talking a little bit and trying to communicate and, and, and in fact shepherd and disciple us to think maybe outside of our comfort zones when it came to some of the political categories we've created in our day. My plan to get people on both sides of the political aisle to be angry with me is working out really nicely. <laughs> just, just amazing. Listen, I told you a couple of minutes ago I never wanted to do anything to disappoint my parents. Well, I went home for, I, I conducted the funeral for my Uncle Ronald yesterday, and so I was home, and my parents and I got to talking, and they said, and, and they've uh, told me that they've been listening to my sermons online, and they told me yesterday they were, in fact, disappointed with me, because they end up on one of those aisles, and they, you know, we're not seeing quite eye to eye on how things are working, and so I want you to know, if you're disappointed, get in line, because it's, you know, just, just that way. But I also want you to know this. Listen, I am not really trying to make anyone angry or disappointed. But I, don't, I, I am challenging all of us to perhaps to think outside the box, to think biblically and theologically about God's kingdom, about the way of Jesus and his rule in our midst. But even if you disagree with my approach, And even if I don't agree maybe with yours, the measure of spiritual maturity may have less to do with who you vote for and how you vote and more with how you respond to those who vote differently than you do. Church, love one another. Boy, we live in a time when people are just angry. And they're tired. And they're frustrated. This is our moment to shine. 
This is our moment to prove we, we do things differently. We love differently. We know our future. And so, yeah, whatever we, we land on this or that issue, and there are a lot of issues out there, let us resolve this. We love each other. I love you. God loves you. And because God loves me, I can afford to love you, even if you think differently or you believe differently. Church, love one another. The command is so clear. Let's shine with that love. In fact, did you notice how John defines sin in this passage? He says it is lawlessness. And, and the reason is, is very simple. When Jesus was asked about the most important part of the law, you remember Jesus' response. He said the whole law is summed up this way. Love God and love your neighbor. And so in verses 5 and 6, John tells us those who look at Jesus have seen the law fulfilled perfectly. That's why we must keep our eyes on Jesus. What happens when we don't love? John gives us an example of Cain and Abel. Again, you remember that Old Testament story. Cain kills his own brother Abel out of jealousy. Cain is there and he offers a sacrifice to God. The problem is, is that God knows the heart of Cain. And it displeased God. The offering displeased him. Abel's sacrifice is pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because Abel's heart was pure. Now think about it. Cain is doing the religious thing. And yet it doesn't please the Lord because the Lord always requires more than sacrifice. He requires a right heart. Cain is so angry that God despises his sacrifice that he gets jealous and he takes it down on his brother and he kills him. Cain is the epitome of what happens to a person when there is just religion but no love. Listen, you can use religion to make you look better. You can be religious without a true love for God and for people. Religion alone kills. Look at the history of our world, and that is a verifiable statement again and again and again. Osama bin Laden comes to mind. He used religion to kill. Well, you say, well, I don't kill people, pastor. Well, hold on a second. How many times do we willingly tear up people with our words, killing their spirits with our tongues, our tweets, our attitudes? How many times do we intend through our actions and words to suck the life right out of people? Religion alone causes us to be critical and judgmental. And quite frankly, that's the reason so many people who are not in the church look at us and say, you know, I don't want any part of that. Why would I, why would I give myself away to something like that? And yet, verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
Oh, and by the way, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I hear a lot of Christians today talking about their rights. And yet when I read the scriptures, it talks about our sacrifices. Love sacrifices and cares about other interests above our own. That's the way of Jesus. Bob Russell, in his book, When God Builds a Church, tells about the first Sunday a lady named Liz came to his church, and he happened to be preaching through the book of Ephesians, and Jason, you were talking about that earlier. Paul was emphasizing, uh, uh, Paul's emphasis on wives submitting to their husbands in Ephesians 5 was the text of the day. And there was Pastor Bob talking about husbands being leaders in their homes. And Liz, who was just this secular modern woman, came in and she's hearing all of this for the first time and it made her quite uncomfortable. But then she heard him declare that husbands are to be like Christ, to sacrifice for their wives and even lay down their lives for them. Well, the friend who invited Liz, Liz leaned over to her and jokingly whispered, if I ever met a man who would die for me, I'd marry him in a minute. And her friend whispered back, Liz, a man has already died for you. Liz kept coming to church, and she gave her life to Christ and became a Christian. We are examples. What do people see in us? It's been several years ago now. This is an old story for me. But several years ago, Mary and I were on vacation. We were in Pennsylvania. We had spent some time with our in-laws. We had just three of the kids at that point. In fact, they were all quite young. Micah was probably just a baby. I'm sure Caleb was probably maybe five years old at max. But uh, after spending a few days with our in-laws, we went to the Poconos, a, a resort in the Poconos, four days, three nights. Well, on the first day we were there, we immediately went into the indoor pool that was nearly empty because it was off-season. The only other couple that was there was one couple who had also a little seven-month-old girl of their own. Well, of course, we did have Caleb and Joshua and Micah, and we were having a good time, but it was quite an ordeal to make sure they were all having fun, that they weren't going underwater, that they were all happy. And I'm sure that maybe this other couple almost maybe felt a little sorry for us, but, but we were doing pretty well. And then all of a sudden, this couple, despite the fact that, we weren't, that they weren't even done swimming, offered to us a, a little wraparound boat, the one that their daughter was in fact using in the pool. Well, we politely declined, but I remember thinking, what a very nice gesture. Well, the next night, we were in the dining room, and the way it worked in that resort area was every once in a while, couples are seated together to make it easier on the serving staff. Well, we had been seated, and this same poor couple was brought to our table. Now, to be honest with you, there weren't a whole lot of couples who were willing to sit with us and our three boys, as you can imagine. But wouldn't you know it, they cheerily sat down, and after some introductions, we began to strike up a conversation about the events of the day. I 
I found out that they were from uh, New Jersey, not far from Manhattan. It was shortly there, uh, shortly after 9-11, so we had a lot of discussion about that, I'm sure. However, they both used a particular expression that I said, you know, I, I, I said, I detected that, that you must have some Canadian ties. I was thinking, I, I knew a guy once who used that same expression, and uh, he was from Canada. They said, yeah, Scott, he was from Ontario. So when we mentioned our children's names, Joshua or Micah, Joshua, Caleb, they said, well, uh, Wendy, his wife said, well, those are biblical names, aren't they? And again, we, we said yes. Well, all along, I'm thinking to myself, boy, this is a nice couple. These are the kind of people I would really like to know. This, this is the kind of people I'd like to be friends with. Well, finally, you know, you get to that inevitable question. I said to Scott, well, what is it that you do? Now, I always hesitate to ask that question. And the reason is, is because I know that they're going to want to know what I do. And the moment you tell them that you're a pastor, faces go pale. You know, they begin to eat a lot faster and conversation just turns awkward. So, you know, I'm always always a little bit hesitant to ask that question. But, but I asked the question and... Wouldn't you know it? He says, well, and he pauses, and he says to me, I'm a pastor. (laughs) And he's waiting for my reaction to him. Suddenly, it clicked. I looked at him and said, you didn't go to Asbury Seminary, did you? And he said, yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, he graduated the same year I did. We were in the same advisor group our first year. The guy that used that Canadian expression was him, in fact. (laughs) Wendy had attended Asbury College, and then we, you know, it just just, um, opened our eyes, and we began to talk, and we had a great time together all weekend, talking about ministry, our hopes, our dreams as young couples and families and all. It was just so sweet. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I love... God incidences. And of course, I, I love the encouragement that just came out of that. I encouraged Scott. I know he encouraged me. We encourage one another. But the point of telling the story is this. I could tell that Wendy and Scott were part of the family. Not because they told me. It was Francis of Assisi who famously said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Now physically, we had changed a lot since school. Scott had gained some weight, I kept getting better looking, so it was hard to tell that we knew each other. Yet we did realize that before we even knew where we had come from, that we knew each other. It was their demeanor, their kindness, their love that told the story. I wonder how many people look at me and say, you know, he's part of the family of God. I just know it. Not because he told me, but because I saw it in his life. I saw it in the way that that he loves And man, I'd like to be a part of that family too.
Christian love one another. And thus give the testimony to Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have lavished your love upon your people this morning. We are the children of God, and we really are. We have a, a grand inheritance ahead of us. But Lord, now we have the privilege of representing you in our world. And because we have been loved so lavishly, Lord, may we be lovers. May we demonstrate and shine to the world a love that is attractive to you. That is attractive, in fact, to them. That they might long to be a part of that family too. Forgive us when we fall short of that. Lord, in the midst of this time and season when, <coughs> excuse me, so many are, are hurting, so many are lonely, so many are frustrated and angry, oh God, would you demonstrate through us that you love and that you have made us loving people. Lord, do a new thing. The way we know we have confidence, the way we know is that the Spirit comes and, and renews us. Renew our spirits right now. And may we just praise you and sing because of all that you've done for us. And Lord, may we be compassionate and, and gracious toward others because you have been compassionate and gracious toward us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.